Welcome to Muse and Hearth, a podcast for women cultivating mind, heart, and home. I'm Lydia Fukushan, and I'm here with my co-host, Valerie Abraham. And today we're joined by Christine Cohen. Christine is a proud mother of three littles and the author of The Sinking City and The Winter King, Christie Award finalist. In addition to spinning her own stories, she's worked as a freelance editor for the past several years and taught online and in-person courses on writing and editing. She spends a lot of time thinking about what makes a novel great and enjoys helping other writers workshop their stories and hone their prose. She's a graduate of the Camperdown MFA in creative writing. Christine, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. I just read The Sinking City for the first time, and I'm now uh, farming it out to all my kids. Perfect. (laughs) You need to read this now. (laughs) So super excited to talk with you about that. And I know, Valerie, you've also read Sinking City pretty recently, right? Stayed up way too late reading The Sinking City. Seems to Matthew read it first and was addicted, couldn't put it down. And then he was just (laughs) laughing at me when he watched me reading it and staying up past him when he was going to sleep, (laughs) trying to finish it. I love how many uh, housewives I make stay up way too late or neglect their chores or whatever. It's really satisfying. <laughs> the Winter King, I was reading at probably like 1030. I'm going to tell everyone that we're not night owls with this, but Daniel comes in and he shuts out the lights. Like I he just turns them out. I'm like, wait a second, I got to finish the paragraph. I woke up at 5am the next morning to finish it because I just needed to find out what happened. So yes, sign of a, a, a story with a lot of... Um, a lot of motivation and story <laughs> grip. Yes, exactly. So now, Christine, you've been writing your whole life. Yes. From the time you were young. Was it always fiction? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I did like a really short stint with my sister where we tried to create like a, a magazine for our house. We mm-hmm. lived out in the country. We didn't have many neighbors. So I don't know who we thought would read this, <laughs> but it was like <laughs> the neighborhood newspaper the new- basically yeah, yeah exactly yeah, the yeah. chronicles of life out in the country um but yeah the very first like finished piece that i did was a little short novella in 5th grade um called the shadow teachers mm-hmm. and i still have it mm-hmm. and it was actually like a supernatural uh horror <laughs> oh wow thriller i don't in know fifth grade. So in you fifth have grade. always written gripping so material i've always <laughs> written I have always skewed a little dark and uh, grippy, and apparently that's my thing. It was, it was. Uh, I thought the premise was really awesome. So this dates me, but um, <laughs> it was back in the days when you know you had the overhead projectors mm-hmm. to to throw up a piece of paper or whatever on the on the uh, whiteboard. And um, I had this idea of a kid who goes to school one day and discovers all of his teachers have vanished, and they've all become shadows, so they can only see them through the you know. When they pass in front of the overhead projector, (laughs) and you can see their shadows, you know, so that, but they're also, they've all become malevolent. So they're trying to like escape them. And anyway, (laughs) it was great. That actually segues really nicely into a question I think Valerie had actually. Valerie, you were telling me you were going to ask about writing stories and themes with a dark Mm -hmm. twist. Right. Because I was, I mean, you know, even as a, 20 something year old mother reading this, there were times where I got kind of creeped out, which obviously is um, enjoyable in limited quantities. (laughs) But I was thinking like, okay, so these are written as young adult books. How do you deal with um, parents who are concerned about, um, you know, dark themes and um, 
not I mean dark in terms of both like portraying very realistic evil villains but also in terms of uh, themes that come up like um you know the plague in one of the books mm-hmm. probably shouldn't say more than that are we giving away spoilers or not we might want to be careful but we'll we'll maybe All warn right. people that a spoiler is coming <laughs> <laughs> if you um, listen the to this podcast you will find out things about the books right <laughs> yep <laughs> so yeah. just Go ahead and get a copy now before you listen to the rest. <laughs> or even, um, like, it's not too much of a spoiler with Sinking City because it's presented very early on, but the idea of of dark deals and things mm-hmm, like that being right. made. Betrayal betrayal by those closest to you that you, the people you thought you were safe with. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, kind of unsettling themes like that. Yeah. Um, how do you, yeah, how do you uh, interact with parents who get concerned about, you know, wanting their kids to only read stories with sunshine and rainbows. Yes. So often, well, I don't say this because it sounds snarky, but I'm tempted to ask them, (laughs) do your children read the Bible? Because (laughs) if they they do, um, then they are encountering stories that are far darker than mine Mm -hmm. in many ways, or Mm -hmm. at least on the same level. So even when it comes to things like... um, uh, with the sinking city again, there's a, a pact, a deal that's made in the first couple chapters that you find out about um, that I am essentially taking right from Genesis six. Mm-hmm. So, like this, uh, there's mm-hmm. um, there are themes that that come up in in my stories that are just kind of universal to the way God tells stories in the world, mm-hmm. and um, and He doesn't pull punches either. So, mm-hmm. so I so that's one aspect is that um, I. I think we're doing kids a major disservice if we are acting like the entire world is sunshine and rainbows mm. because it isn't. Mm. And they need to know that there are dragons because they're going to face them in different in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. Mm. Another thing is, and this is something I've just learned and you both um, as mothers understand also, is that different kids do have different thresholds for things. And so um, with my books, I always recommend to parents that they screen it first and just make sure that there isn't um, anything that they think, okay, my kid isn't ready for this yet, or, you know. They need to mature a little before they can carry this. Before they can get, yeah, Yeah. understand Mm -hmm. this. Um, Although, uh, on the flip side, I have read both my books out loud to my six-year-old. You know, he joins us for, for story time at night. Um, and I think there's a sense in which actually the older we get, the more we understand the dire consequences mm-hmm. or the evilness of mm-hmm. the evil in a way that a six-year-old just does not. Right. So he hears, mm-hmm. you know, someone's going to get stolen by monsters. Uh, that's kind of where it ends for him. Mm-hmm. He's not understanding, you know. Some of their immaturity is almost a protection for exactly. them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so because I'm not, um, I I do try to really be careful and cautious in the way that I write darkness that I'm not ever um, being, you know, like over the top or mm-hmm. um, it's not gratuitous. Exactly. It's definitely or, or integral to the story. It. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, so, yeah. so there's ways that you can in um, particularly in literature that you, that, in that you can't in film sort of almost like pan the camera away. You know, you're not mm-hmm. quite, you're not quite there in this moment or you're not really reveling in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're not giving like all the visceral, awful details, whatever you can just mm-hmm, sort yeah. of um, in a sense, actually, and this is something I learned early on as a writer that sometimes withholding the details um, gives a more terrifying experience without huh. going into the 
like macabre yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's not, it's not tra- traumatic. It's just... Right, it's just... Un- your imagination fills, yeah, fills in the details. in, exactly, yes. in a way that actually is, I think, even more satisfying. Um, we learn this, you know, in, in like... Um, uh, horror films when you have like the monster you know that that you don't see until right. the, the very end of the yeah. story and then you're kind of like oh that was it that wasn't what I thought it would be like that wasn't right. scary but when it was lurking around the corner and you yeah. can maybe just hear it breathing exactly. it was a lot, it was a lot scarier, scarier. Right. so that's, anyway yeah. that's kind of um, yeah I, I do try to make sure that I'm not like I think there's a huge difference between stories that have darkness in them um, for a reason and um, and that are often even I still you know I still try to have humor and joy mm-hmm. and obviously like mm-hmm. the balance of light and dark is going to skew towards light winning and you know that that type of thing versus something that's just like slasher awful you know mm-hmm. reveling mm-hmm. in yeah. it um, mm-hmm. yeah. which which does actually lead into another question I had for you which is um, um, without writing a a blatantly Christian story, if that makes sense. How are your stories actually Christian? Which is what you started to already talk about, which is I, I'm writing stories that are told the way God tells stories. So it sort of informs, um, it informs our intuition about the world and story, if that makes sense. Right. So when you're doing that, um, the Bible could be an influence like Genesis mm-hmm. six, um, I'm also noticing you have some Shakespearean and other classical influences that you tie in. Um, do you find that those just kind of flow out as you go? Is it more calculated when you do that? Or, you know, how does that look in the writing process for you? Right. Um, so often when I'm writing a first draft, I am much more focused on the external plot. So I'm writing, um, this is what the story is about. And, and of course, because I was classically educated, because um, you read I, voraciously. I read a lot. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a sense in which you can, it, my stories will just naturally follow a, a Christian framework or even just maybe a classical mm. framework. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be comedies. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, you can write Christian tragedies, but. I, that's not what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, so I, I try to, first of all, make sure that I'm telling the truth about the world mm-hmm. and the way, um, mm-hmm. the types of consequences that actions have and the types of people that you would be looking up to, you know, mm-hmm. who is a hero, who, mm-hmm. um, if, if a character is doing something, are they held accountable for it, you know, by the end of the story, mm-hmm. um, that type of oh. thing. But, so I do try to keep that in mind a bit in the first draft, but honestly, it isn't usually until the second or third draft, after I have the bones of the story, that I sit down and I think, okay, what is the story really about? Mm. So um, even with The Sinking City, well, Winter King is easier, I think. Um, it, it, you know, the, the, uh, the overall plot is a girl trying to uncover the secret in her in her village and save her family from starvation and whatever. But so that's like the, the external plot, but what is the story really about is um, corruption of religion, the corruption of the true faith. Mm-hmm. Um, what, um, and then also about self-deception and what that looks like and mm-hmm. what we do when we, when we think we're in the right and the mm-hmm. stuff that we're willing to, um, to uh, get, a, get, get away with um, because we're, we think we're sacrifices and collateral damage. Yeah, that we're exactly. Willing to ha- take yeah. on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Justifying the means. Right. So that's, so with winter King, it's that, um, with sinking city, you know, it's much more of a fairy tale that I'm writing very much, a 
um, just the idea of a girl who's um, who has someone show up on her at her 16th birthday, you know, and then and then the fallout from that, and and um, and she's having to run away and be in disguise. And so I'm doing sort of a fairy tale, sort of a Shakespearean, like mm-hmm. you were saying. Uh, I definitely trope. noticed the like. You know, she's dressing as a boy. I think I can yes. say this without giving away too much yep. at one point and having to deceive people that way. And right. I'm going, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Yes. Twelfth Night was my very favorite Shakespeare play. So I think that it's one of my top clearly two. comes yeah. out. Yeah. So so that's like the um, the external story. But then what is it really about? I'm looking at things like um, prejudices and also, um, uh, honestly, a lot of it's about addiction and the and wanting things and not getting them. So mm. that's something that Nico mm. says in the story. You can mm-hmm. you can want something mm-hmm. and not get it and still be happy, mm-hmm. or you can want something so much that it consumes you. Yeah. And so I have a lot of characters mm-hmm. in that book, um, Mago Rey especially, who want something so much, and you can see the way it's consuming them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and, and the how darkness. dark that looks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, but, but understanding, like, those themes, which are very Christian, um, or at least I, I resolve them, hopefully in Christian ways, um, don't usually come out until I'm several drafts in. And then mm. I go back and I really make sure to sort of infuse the story with that. Um, because sense. I do think that that is what ends up giving you a satisfying story. Like we've all read sort of yes. just an adventure story that feels very, it's like national treasure. You know, you mm-hmm. watch that and you're like, this was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really come away with any kind of a caper moral takeaway. Yeah. 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 And those can be great, but I want to, I want to leave people with a much more satisfying moral conclusion. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and I think that so, you, you do that intentionally, but also stories, do that sometimes by accident and it's worth being aware what kind of stories we're filling our lives with because they are instructive right and mm-hmm. intuitive yeah. at an intuitive level yes um i i have a little bit of a follow-up question um to that that question then uh with the what kind of moral universe is being written into the story um do you were you intentionally being subversive in how you wrote the idea of a heroine um specifically in the context of, you know, the the kind of trope that we have in modern popular literature is the girl comes in and saves the day because she's the only one who knows how to get things done. Everyone else is just, they have no idea what's going on. And it seems that with both books, both stories, you have the heroine coming in thinking, I'm going to save the day. And then she's the one who ends up, in a way, hurting people around her, hurting a lot of, almost destroying well, let's see. Hmm. How do I say this without giving too much away? Destroying certain things that she really doesn't want to. <laughs> um, trying to fix things her own way. And that's part of her character's trajectory is learning to to not be the one trying to do things on her own terms. Right. Yeah, I think so. I um, and, and part of it is I'm never really all that interested in books where either the hero or the heroine is just that, like, um, the absolute fix... To, the, to all the situations. It's cut you know, and dried. Right, where yeah. there isn't a, a brokenness there. I mean, like you think even of the most interesting heroes in scripture, David still has great weaknesses that he has deep to overcome flaw, and yeah. deep flaws. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I, I do like um, both Leona and um, Cora are very deeply flawed. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and that is part of their character arc that they have to, to learn and grow um, and that's partially just because that's that's a story to me that I find more interesting and mm. also more true is that gen- mm. generally when we 
try to fix things. When I try to fix things, I often do make a mess of it mm-hmm. more often than not, um, especially when I think I have a moral high ground that I don't or, I, uh, or I'm not oh. approaching it in the correct way or When we're whatever. so absorbed at, uh, in seeing ourselves as the main character of the story, this happens. Yes. Where it's like, it's all yeah. about me. And, right. <laughs> you know, right. But yeah, but I, am, <laughs> I am definitely um, trying not to have the type of heroine who you see on the front cover with you know, two swords strapped to her back, uh, looking Zena, like, yeah, <laughs> looking like she could do anything the men can do, but better, you know, that's, yeah. that's not yeah. what I'm going for. And that actually, uh, leads me to a question about, and I'm not sure whether this has been something that you've tackled yet because you've written two novels with a heroine as the mm-hmm. main character. Do you think you would fundamentally write a heroine differently than you would write a hero? Hmm. Um, yes. Uh, well, I, I don't know if I will ever, I say this, but then I probably will <laughs> do it. Famous last point. words. I yes. know. <laughs> I'll never write a story with a male main character. Um, I, I think that I would, um, the, the strengths and weaknesses that I give my heroines would not be the same ones I would be giving to my hero. So this is something I talked about with Nate on a podcast once. Um, and I think he made the really good point that when men are sneaky, it just feels gross. Like <laughs> women haven't, like there's something about women and the way we use like feminine wiles that deception, can, mm-hmm. deception mm-hmm. that is actually really good. And so, um, huh. you know, you, you see that throughout the Bible, like women using deception in a way that actually can, um, save the spies like Rahab or, or whatever. And, um, but a lot of times when men do that same sort of thing, it can just kind of seem like not strong, <laughs> like slippery. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, and actually valid point because the Bible has heroines like Esther. Yep. Who exactly. was not letting on about who she really was. Mm-hmm. You've got the tent peg incident. You're <laughs> <laughs> coming for a snack and a quick yes. nap. Yeah, exactly. I have some warm milk for you. <laughs> Probably right. some honey. Right. And you will be T- dead. Tamar. <laughs> yes, yes, Tamar. Yep. Yeah, so I think um, I, I, I'm i not sure. I, I like to think at some point I probably will write either like a dual point of view where I've got a, a male and female main character or whatever. But for right now, part of it is um, I just know my strength is getting inside the head of a woman and understanding where she's coming from. If I were to do a male main character, I think I would be relying a lot more heavily on my editor, Brian Cole's expertise there, or, you know, like it would be, it would be harder for me. Um, but just be a different writing exercise. Yeah. I think as, as primarily a reader, because I'm not really a writer, um, I don't always appreciate um, the kind of craft that goes into writing a character that's believable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's obviously important because you can write a whole book off um, I probably shouldn't have used that that phrase, <laughs> but you can write the book off if the character isn't believable. Right. I read um, a I read a book once uh, la- a couple of years ago, uh, written by a man, where the main character was supposed to be a woman, uh, but it was written in first person point of view, and the entire book I kept switching in my head to thinking mm, it was a man, like mm, it could not because mm. he he didn't do a very good job. Clearly, like the entire time it felt like a man. But then, then I would remember it was a woman, and it was so jarring. And anyway, that's something I don't want to. <laughs> I feel I like I've do. seen movie characters like this too, where right. you're going, "No, huh. that's that's 
not believable, that person wouldn't have acted that way. I just know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's interesting yes. because some people, I mean, well, you know, you have the greats who can do it. So C.S. Lewis, like, Till We Have Faces, which is my favorite Lewis book ever, um, he writes Orwell so well. Mm-hmm. Like, it it just feels completely believable and extremely convicting to me every time I read mm-hmm. it. You know, but, I, but at, mm. at the same time, you know, unless you're at the caliber of Lewis... Uh, it's a tricky thing to attempt, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That hideous strength, I think he does a particularly good job portraying the woman's point of view as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's something I didn't, uh, as a tangent, I didn't appreciate when I first read it as a younger reader. Um, and then just as life went on, maturity grew and realized that he really was looking at some true quandaries from a female perspective like right. and processing mm-hmm. through those. And yet, as a man, he was managing to do that and do it convincingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Well, um, we've talked about your heroines. I don't think I've asked you, what are some of your favorite stories outside of stories you're writing? Where do you, where do you <laughs> yes. go for your inspiration and um, just enjoyment, honestly? Like, What's a book you've read and you thought, wow, that was just, I just really enjoyed that. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, um, I I read really widely. Um, and I always have. Like, I, I don't have just one genre that I love. So mm-hmm. I, I read uh, science fiction and I read fantasy and I read um, contemporary and I read middle grade and I read adult. You know, I just, I like to skip all over the place. Um, so I, uh, growing up and kind of the the books that made me want to write in the style that I write were Megan Whalen Turner's Thief series, mm-hmm. um, hmm. and uh, Diana Wynne Jones, um, mm-hmm. Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman. Like I had a lot of those. Um, I say Gaiman with a caveat. <laughs> Some <laughs> yeah. of Gaiman qualification. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> There's probably qualifications with a lot of these, but um, yeah. So so those were kind of the the influences. Um, I I really love anything that had like a fantastical flair mm-hmm. to it in particular. Um, and then uh, when I was, uh, gosh, a teenager, I guess I read Dune for the first time, Frank Herbert's Dune mm-hmm. and uh, mm. the, which I am, I just have to say, I'm so thrilled by the new movies movie and they're making a part two because they're actually like reviving an interest in this book, mm-hmm. which I have loved for so long, but I know it is not an easy entrance. It's especially if you're not into and so the mo- sci-fi. So the movie ends up being like a gateway. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. It's helping people Matthew's sort of get pers- into it. Matthew's trying to persuade me to read it. So yeah, well. that's good to know. It's worth it then. <laughs> I think it's absolutely worth it. Um, and I actually did a three um, Facebook live, uh, I don't know, episodes with Jake McAtee, where we talked through the book. So mm-hmm. we read a third of it mm-hmm. and talked about it. So if you want to look those up. Um, is that on your author page? It's on my website, um, which is christinedcohen.com. It's also probably just on my Facebook author page. Yeah. You could find it there. Right. Um, I think you have it's Christine notes, Cohen author. People can look you up because yes. you've got some great giveaways sometimes. Yeah, and- exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. So, um, and now I... Uh, well, one of the books that I've read recently that I just thought was absolutely fantastic, I read it twice last year, was Susanna Clark's Piranesi, which... Hey, uh, it's so funny because Valerie was like, I gotta ask Christine about this book. 
I've not read it, so it's I'll true. let you ladies text- chat. I know. I was texting Lydia last night about it. You called you, good. I know. It's such a, um, it's interesting to me because I've recommended it to a lot of people with a lot of different um, literary tastes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so far, mm-hmm. I have yet to have anyone be like, oh, I just didn't like it at all. You do have to push through the first, um, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 pages, I think, to really like get into it. Uh, but from mm-hmm. a technical standpoint, it is so tightly written mm. and tightly plotted yes. that I could not get enough of it. Also, the main character's voice is just fantastic. Um, so for me, this is great because Susanna Clark's last book that she wrote was Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Mm-hmm. And I think she wrote that maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like it's been a very mm-hmm. long time. I loved that one, but that's one I can't necessarily recommend mm-hmm. to everyone because it's just a, it's, if, if you're not, um, if you're not really committed to the genre, I think it can be hard to, 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 to get into it and stick with it. It's like 500 hmm. pages long. I think would, I've heard would mixed, you describe? mixed reactions to yes. that one yes. versus Piranesi. Versus so, Piranesi. Yeah. So would you describe Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell as sci-fi, fantasy? So what 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 that book is actually, I think, is alternate historical fantasy, mm. um, which mm. is what I was trying to do with The Sinking City also. So mm-hmm. she sets it, I believe, during the Napoleonic Wars, um, but mm-hmm. she includes, very much like I do in The Sinking City, a gender gentlemen's guild of magicians mm. who are mm. helping to influence the outcome of the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I just thought was a fascinating premise. I loved the idea of magic being not like a Harry Potter, you know, you've got wands and a school and robes and like, um, which I, I do think is super fun. Like I have nothing against that. But that's but, more fantastical. Yes. If that makes sense. This yeah, feels yeah. just one step away from our world. Mm-hmm. Like if, you know, you've got uh, your, your boat makers guild and your whatever you have. If this, magicians were real people. Yeah. yeah they would be yeah. a guild. There'd be sort of stuffy rules and regulations about <laughs> things. And, you know, and I, and I just really enjoyed that, that concept. Mm hmm. Is is uh, one of the goals of that approach to magic? Can it help um, almost re-enchant our world? Because it isn't like you were saying; it isn't some distant Harry Potter versus the Muggle world, but it's so closely integrated to the world that we already know. Yes, yeah, I definitely think so. So you're looking at, I mean, the the magicians in my story. I intentionally say they can't create ex nihilo, so they're not making something out of nothing. Hmm, they're yeah. really just manipulating the world around them. Um, in the same Faster way. Faster or at a different angle than is normal. Exactly. So almost yeah. this idea of, you know, the, that um, uh, Pastor Wilson once in an MFA class I took talked about sort of the idea of the sixth sense and there being like other senses that we might have had before the fall mm-hmm. um, that's huh. where we could interact with the world differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so really this is almost like this idea of there being just more of a sense of really the magic that is in the world mm-hmm. and how you might be able to um, to manipulate it in a, in a way that still is very like in keeping with um, the way God made the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also because it is um, because it's a, a skill, it's a skill that can be used well, mm-hmm. or it can be used um, terribly, like we find out <laughs> some some people in the story um, <laughs> are 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 doing. And so, so I was really intentionally, yeah, with the magic system I was creating mm-hmm. there. I think it creates a world um, that you could imagine really enjoying living in, if that makes sense. Like I could want yes. to be there. It's also simultaneously terrifying because these are things that you're not accustomed to people being able to do. Right. But, but the idea of 
that extra layer being there is really exciting. Um, I know, I'm pretty sure it's Lewis who talks about um, the magic, magic, so to speak, in the world around us that we just don't even uh, recognize. Like thing, things like um, water turning into wine, mm-hmm. but it's just that water waters the grape vines, and then the grape vines grow, and then you have grapes, and then you turn those into wine. Well, water became wine. It's just that Jesus could do it faster. He could <laughs> right. do it instantly. I don't know if that was Lewis that that would talk talked about that. I, was it? Was it Indy Wilson, maybe? It could actually be. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure he'd be, love to be compared. You know? <laughs> it was one of them. Was it Lewis or was it Indy Wilson? But the idea that um, that those things that we see as being miracles mm-hmm. or magic happening, it's just that it happens in a faster timetable than the natural world generally does or at a different angle than the natural world generally does. But Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, okay, so now that you've written... Sinking City and Winter King, where to next? (laughs) (laughs) Such a good question. And one that I'm sort of, well, uh, yeah, it's like I I get that question a lot and I'm... (laughs) I sort of feel a little guilty because (laughs) I don't really have... uh, Well, right now I'm doing doing a lot of work, but I'm not doing a lot of my own work. Um, So I'm I'm working... um, with the, uh, I'm working a little bit with the MFA students actually at New St. Andrews, um, hmm. with the the manuscripts that they're working on, and um, and then I've got some other freelance editorial work that I'm that I'm doing. Um, I have written, I have a completed manuscript actually that um, I have not yet um, decided where how I want it published. Mm-hmm. So it is, um, it is. I guess you would call it steampunk. It's 18th century New York. Um, hmm. No, it's 19th century uh, New York. And it's um, it's a heist. It's actually middle grade, so it's slightly younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I have that all um, kind of ready to go. And I just have not quite figured out how I'm going to, how or where it's going to get published. Um, I do feel like I keep, I love to bounce around in worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always thinking, mm. oh, maybe I should write a sequel, but I, there's just the part of me that loves exploring and kind of creating these, these different worlds. And, and so I'm mm. not sure. I, I hate to say that because I have a lot of people that are like, when is the sequel coming? And I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe never. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I want to see a new world now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm doing that. But then the other thing I've actually started doing, and this has been really fun. So normally I write my first draft with the door closed I to everybody, even my kids. Um, I just, I need to be in my own little world mm-hmm. writing it um, or else I, I sort of feared I would get paralyzed with input from other people. Um, however, a couple of weeks ago, I just had this idea for, uh, a, another sort of fairy tale and I pitched it to my kids, um, just the, the concept of it, the premise, just to see what they thought of, of it. And, and my six-year-old was like, that's so cool. What happens next? Uh-huh. And I was like, I, <laughs> I don't know. He's hooked. <laughs> I know. And he goes, well, you're going to write it. Right. And so then I sort of was like, yes, I am. <laughs> So now I'm I'm actually about ten thousand words into this fairy tale, and right now oh, it wow. is just for my son. Like he, I write a chapter, he reads it, mm-hmm. or I read it to him. He tells me what he thinks of it, um, 
And that has actually been really fun. And I'm not sure where or how that also will make its way out into the world. But it's a new um, process because you're doing a little bit more of an open door on your writing. Exactly. I am. But I'm also feeling very much like, you know, I I always want my kids to be glad that their mom is a writer Mm -hmm. and not like, oh, this is a thing she does that takes away from Mm -hmm. her life with us. Mm -hmm. So this has been a fun exercise in sort of allowing him to be a part of the creative process it's a gift and to him it's a gift yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so um plus it's just i love myth and fairy tales so <laughs> here we and are you can't go wrong we'll, we'll <laughs> be really excited to see as those things uh, hopefully come out in the next couple of years and yeah christine thank you so much for being here with us today sure. um everyone should go grab a copy of winter king and sinking city but do carve out like a weekend and read it because you will not be able to put it down (laughs) Uh, well with that um i guess we'll say goodbye and thanks so much again all right yeah thank you for having me yes thank you christine yep thanks